<laughs> Hello and welcome to the switching edition of the Backstand Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and checking on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, interviews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it's happening golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, I'm fantastic. Glad to have you back on the show this week. Uh, Kieran filled in for you last week. What a difference a week can make. Kieran and I were previewing the players just last Tuesday. We all know what happened with that. Um, Thursday morning, they played the first round. Um, and then later in the day, they decided to cancel. They wiped it out, sent everybody home, and they didn't even play. Um, now we've got all these cancellations. The Masters is postponed. The PGA is postponed. We're going to talk about all this stuff later, but, oh, my goodness, what? The, the world is in a total uproar. We're all because of this coronavirus thing. We're going to try and do our best to maybe explain a little bit of this tonight, talk about it, see what it means to us, see what it means to golf, we'll give you all the latest, and, and try to just make a little bit of sense of everything. So, Carlos, I'm going to turn it back to you and uh, let you get it started. Well, first of all, thanks to Kieran for – uh, being with us, actually, uh, he wasn't filling in for me. I was the one. He, he was supposed to be part of the, the big show, right? So, uh, anyway, thank uh, to him for being uh, last week and doing the great job that he always does. And you guys did an amazing job uh, previewing the players that never was. And the reason is because there's we all already know we have been talking about this, about the outbreak of the coronavirus is have claimed the lives of at least uh, 7,176 people and spread to more than 140 countries. It's also affected sporting events across the world. And governments are scrambling to stop the spread of the virus. They're advising against public gatherings. In several countries, people have been cautioned not to check hands and to minimize risks of contamination. We just saw the debate uh, the Democratic debate where they, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, they didn't handshake. They just said that this elbow pump, right? So it's everywhere. Italy, which is Europe's worst hit country, has canceled all sporting events until at least April 3rd. And the government has put the country in lockdown as it battled the virus. My wife right now is in Puerto Rico, and she's in lockdown 24-7. She can't get out from her home. So, I mean, in North America, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NBA, the NHL have temporarily restricted locker rooms access to players and the essential staff. If you see, we've heard about NBA players, starting by Rudy Gobert, which really was the one that started all this domino effect. Uh, once he contracted it, I mean, the NBA had no choice but to, to say, okay, this is it, we have to cancel at least the small events, and uh, it rolled over to golf. And following its cancellation of five events last Friday, which included the 2020 Players' Championship after round one action concluded, the PGA Tour has also canceled four additional events due to this pandemic. I mean, additionally, the PGA of America has postponed the PGA Championship, which was previously scheduled to be held May 14th at May 17th at Harding Park. So 
We have four new events being canceled. The RBC Heritage Steer Classic, Wells Fargo, AT&T, Brandon Nelson, which means there's no golf to be played until at least, at least late May at the earliest. Augusta National, of course, they also announced last week the Masters has been postponed. So it's interesting that both the Masters and the PGA have been postponed and not canceled. We're going to talk a little bit about that impact, but it's really setting the stage for a potential fall where some or maybe all of the major championships are played. So I don't know for this, I mean, the logistics of all this will always be hard. Uh, I don't know the the fact that there could be no big ones uh, out of the calendar year. That could be just devastating for what I think it could be to golf, which it was expected to be an amazing year, including the Olympics that it, at this moment, they're still on, but we don't know how long, how much longer this will go. Yeah, um, you know, you kind of open up a, 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 an interesting topic there, Carlos. Um, I just read an article before we came on the air. The Telegraph is reporting that the 2020 Ryder Cup that was going to be held at Whistling Straits may be canceled. Um you know, with the travel restrictions now, I don't know. But thinking ahead a little bit, the Masters still wants to be played, and they and they can't be played really until October because their grass, um, they, they're bent grass at uh, at uh, Augusta National, and it does not do well in the summertime there. And and Augusta National closes from uh, late April, early May until October every year. And uh, the earliest that you could play at Augusta National would probably be around the middle of October uh, to play the Masters. The, um, the PGA Championship, if you don't play it in May, which they've already postponed it, when are you going to play it? Uh, there's, there's tournaments lined up steady. You're going to have the U.S. Open in June. It's still, they're, they're still hoping to play that as, as of this time. There's the uh, Open Championship that's going to be played in the U.K. in July. They're still hoping to get that done. And then you go into the FedEx Cup, So, and there's tournaments leading up to that. Then after that would have been the uh, Ryder Cup and, of course, the, the fall schedule. And I think there's a weaker. Then you also had the Olympics in there. So if they don't have the Olympics and they, they don't have the Ryder Cup, that opens up some weeks to move some things around and hold the Masters and the PGA Championship. So that kind of that, that is kind of a new new monkey monkey wrench into things here uh, that just came up today. And Carlos, as you know, I mean, we're watching the TV, we're listening to the news. These things are changing by the hour. Um, so you've got to listen, you've got to pay attention. But uh, Carlos, this coronavirus thing has has been quite a thing, and and uh, uh, I'd, I've never seen anything like it quite in my life. I've been through the, you know, uh, the different things in the past, the swine flu and, and all of some of these other things. Uh, uh, this, is, this is just about as bad as you can get. We've pretty much shut down the country. Um, I don't know what else they're going to do, Carlos. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if they, like that report you're saying, if they bump to 2021, the Ryder Cup, that would conveniently open up a late September date for the PGA of America to push the PGA Championship, but the PGA of America mentioned that it would be later this summer. 
So it could open up that date for it. Uh, like I said, the logistics will always be hard. Uh, golf has this nice flexibility that you can play in many climates around the year. Some good built-in infrastructural advantages at some of its major venues. So I guess there remains hope, uh, not for the regular PGA Tour events that have already been mixed, but at least the Masters, the four big ones, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. Uh, of course, this last two have not yet been affected by the coronavirus, although given its mid-June date and location, which is New York at Wingfoot Club, it would be shocking if the U.S. Open wasn't also at least postponed. Uh, for now, though, we will not see professional golf until at least the end of May. Uh, that's a stunning reality. And the worst part is that I'd be far more surprised if that's when it came back uh, than if the cancellations and postponement continued well into the summer. Uh, hopefully not. But, uh, I mean, it's just we're going to start to see things out of order. It, it sounds like surreal that maybe the Masters will be the last one to be played instead of the first one. And that's the case that I'm living also with the horse races. They're saying now that Kentucky Derby is going to be in September, and, and uh, the other two will be before. It's like it doesn't make sense, right? It's something surreal. But the, the real reason for all this is the coronavirus. And you might ask, what is it? I mean, a lot of people are confused, or at least I hear everywhere they say, this is a novel coronavirus, uh, a novel virus. And uh, a lot of people are. This is not uh, the first time that we have seen this. It's been uh, since the 60s. Well, it is a new, a new virus. It's a new coronavirus. It's not the same that we have been previously identified. That's why they're calling it COVID-19, because it's the ninth edition, let's put it that way, or version of this virus. It's not the same as the coronaviruses that commonly circulate among humans and cause mild illness, like the common cold. So that's why it's novel. It's a new one. It's not like the other 18 that have been already identified. But what is it really with this one? And it's really a respiratory illness that can spread from person to person. I mean, there are, like I mentioned, there are many types of human coronaviruses, including some that commonly cause um, mild upper respiratory tract illness. So COVID-19, it is a new disease caused by this new coronavirus that has not previously been seen in humans. So current reports, uh, the symptoms for the patients with this virus have included mild to severe respiratory illness with fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. So, Fred, uh, Again, this is something that, it, that can be spread from person to person. There have been cases already in the U.S. related to international travel, traveling, uh, reported community spreads in part of the U.S. This is rapidly evolving situation, and the CDC is updating every day the risk assessment as needed. So uh, what's your take on this COVID-19? Yeah, uh, a couple things, and these are the things that, that pop up that, as you mentioned, it can be spread from person to person. Um, you know, if someone coughs, uh, the droplets from that could get on another person 
um, maybe on your hands, you touch your face, you touch your mouth, you touch your nose. It could be taken in uh, into your body that way, and you may become uh, infected with it. Um, also, uh, there is concern that uh, someone maybe touches a surface that is infected, and you touch it, you could become affected as well, infected as well that way. Uh, it does seem to live for a little bit of a time on, outside a body. Um, so that's why they say, you know, constantly wash your hands, um, you know, wipe down uh, any countertops, uh, constantly wash down tables, especially around food and those kind of things. Um, so it can't be spread, Carlos. It, it, uh, it, the problem is like in airplanes, you know, that what they were bringing it, the Asians were bringing it over here from China, uh, people were coming in from Europe that had it in maybe Italy or some other parts of Europe. So it was coming in through the, through the airports. Uh, people are confined in those airplanes, breathing that stuff in. You're in a tight situation. You're close to people. Um, if you're sitting next to somebody, you're going to get it. Now, the other side of this, Carlos, is that we're also getting a lot of reports that people that have it really don't have that bad of symptoms. It's you know, some people say, you know, I just had a minor fever for for several hours. I was fine. I, even though I was quarantined for, for 10 days or two weeks or whatever, uh, I was fine. It really didn't create a problem. Also, I was reading uh, an article by this biophysicist today, and he says, you know, everybody's kind of overreacting. Our medical personnel are on top of this. Yes, it is a flu or a virus, uh, you know, infection, but 90% of the people are kind of immune to it. Uh, and he studied, actually studied the, the, where this all started in Wuhan in China. And he said once they got the people quarantined, quarantined and away from each other, um, he said the instance of it went down like rapidly, like within a couple of days. Um, he said in, like within a week, there, it was pretty much over and done. And so, um, and then he said only like 10% of the people that could have gotten this that were um, that were close to it actually caught the disease. So people do have an immunity. It's, it's built in from whatever, whatever former things you've had in your life. And so it does touch everybody. The people that are at risk are people that have some medical issues. Maybe they have some respiratory issues in them. Maybe they have asthma. Maybe you're uh, an older person. Uh, people that are in nursing homes that are that are weak and maybe don't have uh, immunities to these kind of things really are very susceptible to it. So, um, Carlos, the best thing is that we can tell people is try and maintain a distance. If you don't have to go out, stay home. Wash your hands. Um, you know, keep everything cleaned up. Use the disinfectant. And, um, I mean, it's almost impossible. You've got to go to the grocery store from time to time. You Maybe if you touch cash, um, you know, use surgical gloves or something. I guess you could do that. Uh, I've been using my uh, my debit card or a credit card. I, I don't like to even handle cash. Somebody hands me cash, I don't I want to touch that. And when I do, as soon as I get back in my vehicle, I, I have some wet wipes. I wipe wipe my hands down quick. So uh, you know, just take some precautions. Use some common sense. Uh, and and I think we'll all get through this thing, Carlos. Uh, it's just uh, it's an inconvenience. It's a problem. But we've got to uh, got to maintain uh, a certain amount of uh, I don't know just just think about what you're doing and if you don't have to do it don't do it. 
you know, sometimes, and you bring a, a point uh, because of what we're seeing, there's a lot of people that seem to be uh, asymptomatic, and right? they don't they don't do exhibit a lot of uh, of the symptoms or the severity. Like you mentioned, there's a, a demographic that is mostly affected, those over 65, or the ones that have already a pre-existing condition. So there's this this term that we're listening to a lot with social distancing, right? Now, why social distancing. Social <laughs> distancing. It's like it's, that's the new word of the of the month. That is a small group of contrarians urging a more careful weighing of the harm as well as the benefits of such policies, right? So uh, as the virus outbreak has taken a toll, and the biggest states have been hurt right now have been uh, and reporting on the CDC up to today, uh, there's at least uh, 4,226 cases that have been reported, but that data is not anymore uh, being reported as the states are starting to now testing everyone uh, that that goes for it. But right now, the two states, big ones that have been, has been New York with 669 and Washington with 708. Following that is California with 369. After that, just come the other states like Florida with 119, 144 in Colorado. There's Massachusetts with 164 and Louisiana with 101. Those are the ones over 100. So all these things, is, there's like a taboo question, right? I mean, is America overreacting to the coronavirus? And uh, the, this becomes that, like a taboo question, because there's both sides of the story. The ones that say, uh, you know, I, I have heard that people don't have that many symptoms. It's not that bad. There's the ones that have died about it, but those are the ones that are in that demographic, so it doesn't affect me, so I am not going to be worrying about it. But the problem is that a lot of people don't know that they have it, so they start doing and the stuff as they usually do, and they are the ones that are putting at risk that demographic that is at risk, that have the most chances to being uh, – Contracting the virus, reacting to it, and even dying. So the reasoning for this so-called social distancing is just to try to do the trade-off uh, about, okay, we have to give up on this uh, liberties that we have. And it's like what happened after 9-11. We have to face some realities in order to get some security, right? In this case, if we want to not this becomes something that will affect somebody close to you at some point. We have to take these precautions at this moment and just live with them for a little while while the, the other term that they call is flattening the curve, flattening the curve. And uh, that means that the spread of the disease has been controlled and now it's just going down. It's not going on the rise. It's going to go down. It's going to stay steady and then go down. That's what we're trying to do with this. And I know it's an inconvenience because I, I was all weekend trying to get supplies. There was no toilet paper anywhere. There was no paper towels. There was nowhere to be found. I mean, it's like the world was coming to an end. And uh, I was even making a joke. You know, you can, the soap, that was the same thing as the, as the antibacterial. I mean, if people were not using soap, what they were using before, 
So anyway, uh, Fred, are we overreacting to this, all these cancellations and all that? What, what's your take? I mean, uh, I, I see a trade-off, but uh, again, I don't want to, I don't want those loved ones that aren't that demographic that could be affected to be affected and maybe lose one of them. So I understand the trade-off on it. Carlos, to me, um, you know, I, I want to sit here and say that we're overreacting. Um, but I'm sitting out here in Toledo, Ohio, and I don't have access to all the information. And I have to trust that our leaders are taking the appropriate action. And so my take here is that I do feel that this is a slight overreaction. But it is good to see our elected officials apparently listening to the experts making tough decisions to prevent the spread of the disease and harm to those that are more susceptible to its effects. And those are, this is just heartbreaking. You know, people that have parents or loved ones or family that are in nursing homes um, and they can't go see them because the nursing homes are basically on lockdown. They're not letting anyone in. They're not letting anyone out. Um, The only people that are going in and out of there are the staff. And to see your loved one, you have to kind of go to a window. You're standing outside and talk to them over a telephone. Um, It's kind of heartbreaking. But these are the people that we're really ultimately trying to protect so that a child or uh, uh, someone doesn't bring it to their parents or their older family and create a death for, for that part of their family. So I am impressed at how every level of government and the executives in charge of colleges, schools, sports leagues, and every public gathering have heeded the warnings and made very tough decisions. Whether they're right or wrong, somebody has stood up and said, we have to do this. This is what the course of action we need to take. I can't argue with that, Carlos. I I want to in the worst way, but it's nice to see things work and can work like they're supposed to. Instead of everyone bickering and pointing fingers at the other guy, things are getting done. Right or wrong, they're getting done. So we're all in the same boat. Um, The people I worry about the most in this whole thing are small business people. Small business people need every dollar they get every day. They need to sell you that six-pack of beer. They need to sell you that hamburger sandwich. Uh, They need to... Uh, have you come and visit their establishment and spend some money with them. Uh, they need that. They can't afford to close down for a month or six weeks or two months. The guy, the waiter at your at your golf club, the, the waitress that serves you your, your chicken sandwich, they need that money to pay their rent. You know, the government says, oh, go home and stay home. Uh, well, that's great, but if you're not making any money, you can't pay your rent. You may not have a home to stay in. So what they're going to do, I guess they're already looking at different avenues to help uh, create some money for people. Um, This scares me to death, Carlos. Uh, All this government control just scares me to death, I have to tell you. But um, somebody's going to have to help take care of some of these people. I I don't know how they're going to do it, but uh, they've worked together so far, so I hope they get it done. But Carlos, uh, to close out my comment here in this part, 
this has always been one of my favorite times of the year. I look forward to this time of year every year. We have the end of the college basketball season, the NCAA championships. Oh, my goodness, the Big Ten championship should have been last weekend. We should have started the March Madness this week. Um, the college, then you've got the, um, the opening of Major League Baseball season. And then we always have the Masters to look forward to here in another couple of weeks. We're just a couple of weeks away from the Masters. And that signals the beginning of the, the golf season here in the north. So this is always a favorite time of the year, and boom, it's all taken away. No basketball games. Baseball looks like it's delayed maybe till June. Uh, the Masters has, has been postponed. The PGA has been postponed. I, I just i am really sad about all that, Carlos. But there's a lot more important things in life, and we're figuring those things out. And I guess if we all work together, we're going to get through it, right? Yeah, I always look forward to the first May, first of a Sunday in May, Saturday in May, for the run of the roses, and I won't have that anymore. <laughs> That's my big thing, the horse racing. Everybody knows that I'm a, a huge horse racing fan, and uh, not to have the derby, it's like, what is going on? I mean, COVID now, you're the most hated thing ever for me, and uh, I... I I know the Masters, so we talked about the, the cancellation, not the cancellation, I mean the postponement, uh, postponement of it. And then you hear that it's not the first time uh, that it dates back to 1934. It has never been played outside of March or April. I mean, weather has uh, forced a delay in finishing the tournament more than half a dozen times. Last time the Masters sat a Monday finish was in 1983. That the Monday finish was forced by a full Friday rainout. 1973, no weather on Saturday, moved to third round uh, to Sunday, final to Monday. So we, we have seen that. Uh, like he mentioned, Augusta National Coast is in late May, doesn't op- reopen for its members until October. So the tournament cannot be rescheduled this calendar year, let's put it that way. It will be the first time since 1949 that a green jacket is not awarded. It was canceled, of course, from 43 to 45 because of the World War II, but then it has been played every year since 1946. Uh, so, Fred, I hear that, but has, I, to me, it's incredible to see all these cancellations. Has golf been suspended before? Uh, how's that? <laughs> Yeah, there, it, it, canceling of PGA Tour events or other professional golf tournaments, it, it's not unprecedented. It's been done before. As you say, the Masters was not held during the war years. As a matter of fact, Augusta National was turned into a cattle farm, and they raised uh, much-needed uh, beef for uh, home consumption and for the troops. Um, hurricanes, uh, weather, severe storms have caused uh, issues and forced the cancellation of some events. It uh, wasn't that long ago that Hurricane came up the East Coast and canceled a couple tournaments, uh, one tournament for sure, uh, that was going to be held in the Carolinas. Um, several tournaments have had uh, to uh, disallow fans to attend after a severe storm overnight had uh, ripped up trees and caught, created problems on a golf course. They could play, uh, the players could play, but they couldn't let fans on because the course was in such bad shape. Uh, the most famous, of course, Carlos, was 9-11-2001. Uh, 
Uh, that's the one that I remember. I'll never forget it my, in my life uh, as long as I live. Uh, the top golfers in the world were practicing at uh, Bell Reef Country Club near St. Louis for the WGC American Express when all air traffic was prohibited after the planes hit the Twin Towers in New York. No one knew what was going to go on. Was that the last? Was that the only thing that was going to happen? Was there going to be more issues? All planes were grounded. The PGA Tour decided to cancel the event, send everybody home. Just last year, Carlos, at the Zozo Championship in Japan, uh, severe rains made the course nearly unplayable, and fans were not allowed onto the course. Um, in 2016, the Web.com Tour, now the Corn Ferry Tour, canceled their Tour Championship, which was the final event of the year, and it was to be held in Florida. Also in 2005, before that, uh, was the Nationwide Tour. Again, they were going to have their Tour Championship, their final event of the year in Florida, but Hurricane Wilma put an end to that. They did move that event to play the following week in Alabama, so they got it in. But we have never, Carlos, we've never seen the tour being forced to cancel three events and the Masters to announce their postponement, which essentially shuts down the pros for at least four weeks minimum. And now we're finding out it may be well into May. So hopefully we're going to get this thing figured out Um and, and, you know, we're going to get back to golf at some point in time, hopefully by the U.S. Open in June. They'll need a couple of weeks of practice, hopefully, before they get into that. So maybe they play events towards the end of May and, and moving into June. But, um, and Carlos, I have to say, they, you know, Jay Monahan appeared to do all the right things for the players. C.T. Uh, Pan uh, had decided he was not going to play. Uh, you know, they were going to play on Thursday, which they did play on Thursday, and then they were going to decide to play without fans, and so they were going to do that. And uh, But C.T. Pan says, no, I'm not going to play. It's, it's too dangerous. I'm not going to do it. And um, so after Thursday's play, they decided not to do it. They had food enough for 200,000 people already stored for the tournament. They took all that food and passed it out among uh, – needy people in, uh, you know, like a 50-mile radius of Jacksonville. Um, you know, he, they've looked ahead at tournaments, and they've already, they'd already canceled, you know, the Valspar and the San Antonio. And, and uh, uh, so it's just – it's amazing to me what the decisions they've had to make and what they've had to do. Uh, Carlos, and, and as I mentioned earlier, everything – on a level, just like the, the golf tournaments, just like your local government, your state government, the federal government, they're all working diligently, appears, to, to make sure they make the right decisions and do the right things. I, I'm not going to sit here and second-guess them. Uh, I hope it all works out for the best. Um, but um, it, it's just it's an amazing thing. We have seen golf tournaments canceled in the past, but not in this magnitude, Carlos. No, definitely. And uh, talking about the players, uh, the players was confirmed. PGA uh, Tour Commissioner Jane Monahan confirmed that half of the total price money was going to be evenly distributed among each player involved. That because the the impact of the coronavirus forced the tournament to be canceled on Thursday evening. According to PGA Tour regulations, 
50% of the total $15 million purse prize, higher than any other golfing tournament, was to even be evenly shared among the players as long as the entire round was completed. The winner, of course, was set to win $2.7 million with the top three guaranteed at at least $1 million. Four players failed to complete the first round before darkness forced play to be suspended, however. With the cancellation of the tournament, subsequently ensuring there could be no winner. So Monaghan was speaking to the media upon the tournament's cancellation and said the circumstances, the regulations would not dictate how the players are paid. With each player set to win, roughly 52,000 players, $52,000 regardless of their performance. So, Fred, I think that was the right thing to do. At least uh, they got there. I will pay for some of them to get there at least. You know? So the term was not completed, uh, not even one complete round because four players failed to do that. Uh, so I think it's, it was a nice parting gift for them. Thank you for coming. Sorry for what's happening. Uh, but uh, what's your take on, on, on them splitting that evenly among all players? I have no problem with that uh, whatsoever. My my issue, the things that I worry about with all these canceling of all these sporting events, especially like the NCAA championships, all the vendors, uh, all the people that work in the stadium, all the uh, all the hotels, all the restaurants that were that count on those people coming in to their establishments uh, during those tournaments, all the all the waiters and the waitresses and all the people that work in they, now they don't have that income. That income is completely gone. They got nothing, okay? It's nice that the uh, the PGA Tour was able to compensate the players for showing up. Uh, that's nice. Uh, but what about all the other little guys, all the vendors that provided stuff to that tournament, all and all the, all the vendors for all the other sporting events that have been canceled that now have no income? That's Those are the people I worry about, Carlos, and, and – uh, I have no no problem with them splitting up that purse. That that was great. Uh, seems like a, a only a fitting gesture. But uh, I worry about all the other small businesses that are tied to that. Uh, you know, I I have a friend who uh, just uh, works. He's he's an advance crew for the LPGA. So he was out in uh, in Arizona, out in Phoenix, preparing for the Founders Championship, and uh, he got a call and said, hey. It's canceled. Come on back home. So he had to jump on a plane, fly back to uh, to Florida where he lives. And, uh, you know, what are they doing? Are they paying him for not working now? Uh, you know, are these people getting paid? I don't know. It's, it's uh, I, the whole thing is really, there's more involved here than just the players and just the tournament. And then the other part, Carlos, are the charities. Um you know, the uh, the Players' Championship, I think, generates something like $9 million in charity every year. What are those charities going to do without that money? You know, the same thing for San Antonio for, for the uh, Texas Open. Same thing for the Valspar. Same thing for uh, all the other tournaments that donate so many millions of dollars of charity. Those charities are out of that money. They can't recoup that. They count on that money to get through the year. So, I mean, this it's just like, a, it's just like dominoes, and, and they're all falling, Carlos. I agree with you on the on that, and I, I was going to mention the the charities as some of the biggest losers of all this because right now there's no other way 
for them to try to make up that money that they count year in and year out. Uh, uh, we've seen in other sports that you know players are um, contributing to the to the employees of the facilities and all that. I don't know what golf can do about it because they wait for this to to be coming to the city and help out with the charity events that they do. Uh, but I certainly hope that there's something also that golf can do about those people. I mean, uh, we just heard uh, a report about probably the, the unemployment could hit as high as 20%, and that would take it worse than what the, what it was in the 2008 financial crisis. So the fallout could be devastating. Uh, airlines are losing a lot of money, uh, and it's been told in many reports that maybe all of them can go into bankruptcy. I mean, this is an amazing fallout uh, that has never been seen before. But Fred, we have talked a lot about this already. I think we should take a break about it, and uh, we still have some more to talk. But uh, we have a VAG, very important guest of the week, that I think it's time for us to, to send her a, an interview that you did with her. Her name is Jenny Coluccio. And uh, she's entering her second season as the women's golf coach at the University of Toledo. I don't know how you know about this. Who would say that you're from Toledo, right? Uh, She's the third coach uh, in program history and came to Toledo after serving as an assistant coach for the University of Illinois women's golf program for five years. So uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, interview. Carlos, I was already going to talk to you, Jenny, about – uh, she's had a very difficult season with her team, uh, with injuries, uh, the death of a parent. One of her players uh, contracted leukemia just a couple weeks ago. Um, it, it's been a really tough season for the, for them and the whole team. And I was going to talk to her about getting information about an article and, and doing some different things. And then when this cancellation of the college season came up last week, we transitioned over, and uh, I got a few comments from her about that. Uh, of the coronavirus that has swept through the country and the eradication of the 2020 NCAA spring golf season. And so you can see that being the coach of a college golf team is a tremendously difficult job, Carlos. All right, let's play the interview. I want to introduce uh, Jenny Coluccio, who is the head coach of the University of Toledo women's golf team. With the recent news of the spring season being completely wiped out for all NCAA collegiate sports, we appreciate you taking time to come on the show and talk a little bit about that. How was your season shaping up before all this happened? Our spring season was we were looking at some injuries and um, illness, and so we were down to four players here at our last event. I mean, we've got so many freshmen on the team that were so eager, and i got seniors on the team that, were really like the light bulb was coming on and they were excited to play and really looking forward to every tournament, every round that they were going to get to play and be better at those. It's sad. But overall for our, our season, we had some bigger life things that, that were happening that we were trying to focus on as a group instead of score necessarily. Yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. Being a college coach isn't always just about recruiting and then training the 
the players or coaching them or, or getting them to their best level once they get there. These kids have issues. There are health problems. There are other issues, family issues or different things, uh, being homesick or being away or, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff involved in being a coach. And this year you're kind of learning a lot. You've had some kids that uh, have been in the hospital and, and suffered some different things, right? Well, starting in the fall, we had a freshman that, that had to undergo hip surgery before our season started. And so she's been out all year with rehab and, We've been taking that very carefully and, and also um, getting her the right help as far as mental health recovery and just in preparation and getting her in the, light, in the right life situation on campus so she still felt integrated with the team and campus life as a student athlete. We had a uh, parent pass away on our team, and so we, we took the whole team down to the funeral, and it, it was it was hard. It was very hard. Also, grief counseling is something that we've had to do a lot. Um, your your minor injuries is something that we work on. The financial questions that players have. And most recently, I had two players in the ER, and one is still really hard for me to talk about. But um, she was recently diagnosed with leukemia. So she's in the hospital undergoing chemotherapy at the moment. Um, so we've we've had a lot, um, and so I'm I'm basically um, you're drained. Pseudo parent, yeah. I'm, well, I'm drained. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yes. But yeah. um, in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, she her parents aren't here. She's from Thailand, and these girls they are each other's family when they're here on campus, and we play so many roles as coaches, not just developer of the sport and the mental side, but we, we help them develop their lives as 18 to 22 year olds. You just wrapped up playing a tournament in Las Vegas. The NCAA just announced that all spring sports would be canceled. Uh, no more. The high schools are closed for three weeks. The colleges are going to go to online classes only. So you're not even going to have the kids there to train and practice uh, where does that kind of leave you now over the next few weeks? Are you going to go back maybe and revisit some of your recruiting, get working on some of that? What goes on now for you? What's next? I think we're all still in a little bit of shock about what's going on and and how best to to move forward and respond in the best way that, that considers everybody's health and safety. And in the grand scheme of things, sport world, it, it's a benefit that we get to do this. So the, the health and safety obviously comes first. I was talking lightly with somebody earlier of, you know, if you've ever had that thought in your head where you wish time would stop so you could just catch up on things, yeah, we kind of just got that. Um, so yep. just be careful what yeah. you ask for. There's, there's always projects to do. There's, there's self-work, getting better at what I do and who I am, getting our recruiting in order, you know, exactly how you want to. And even the little things, maybe doing new photos up in the locker room and, Stuff that can be, you know, take time to. There's, there's always something to do. Um, but we're still in contact with the players, and we're still trying to help them academically and see what, what can be done so that they've got what they need to be successful. Because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with NCAA eligibility and any of those things. There's still so many questions out there of what's next. So we're really trying to kind of take it day by day and almost hour by hour in a lot of respects. Yeah, I know there is a, a large group of people uh, since this season was washed out requesting that the NCAA 
visit, adding an extra year of eligibility for players affected that would want to come back and play one more season. I would be surprised if that's not uh, granted, but at this point it, it is not. But uh, how does that affect if if you're, some of your seniors are, are uh, uh, granted another year, uh, how does that affect your recruiting? Uh, are you going to be able to bring more kids in? I mean, you're, you're only going to have so many scholarships to work with probably unless they don't count those ones that are back for an extra year. I think the NCAA would have to do something like that because these incoming freshmen, so many, 90% of them have signed a legal NLI letter of intent and it binding to the point. And, you know, we've made them promises. So I, I think that that would have to be looked at by the NCAA if they were willing to give another season of eligibility because some of these kids simply can't afford the school, but right. they've merited the ability to compete and represent the school. So again, there's so many questions with that. And I think that that's definitely on the conversation table and, we're we're meeting soon as the department. I saw our compliance officer this morning, and he said it's the big question, and I don't have an answer, and I don't know when I'm going to have an answer. I think that the the media is going to definitely jump on top of the NCAA about this, and the student athletes. I mean, there's there's just a lot of questions to be answered. Been talking with Jenny Coluccio, who is the head women's golf coach for the University of Toledo. Uh, Jenny, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today. We appreciate your insight and uh, uh, wish you good luck going forward to all of you and all your girls and uh, uh, hope that uh, uh, I'm sure this is a fluid situation and I hope everybody stays safe and uh, gets back at it this fall. Yes. Please wash your hands, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And that was Jenny Coluccio. Uh, Fred, anything else you want to add to what we just heard? The, the, the positive from this, Carlos, is that uh, we can still play golf. The problem, the biggest problem with the COVID-19 uh, is transmission among other people, which may get to older, more susceptible people that have lower immune systems to fight it off. So if you take precautions, clean your hands off and keep a distance between other people, uh, would advise using a credit card rather than cash, your chance of catching virus is very small. There's also, I'm going to be doing some things on safety on the golf course uh, over the next uh, week or so. We're going to be doing some videos and some different things. So, you know, maybe don't touch the flagstick. Just leave the flag in. You don't have to touch it. Other people are touching tickets. Just leave it in. Stay away from it. Um, Riding in a cart. Um, Maybe take a single cart if you can take a cart. Uh, Or walk. You know, don't get too close to others. Just walk. Take a push cart or carry Uh, Being outside in the open air also lowers the chance of contacting disease. So, you know, it it shouldn't keep you away from the golf course. There was an issue in Michigan um, that they thought that uh, the, you know, the the legal eagles from the Golf Association of of Michigan yesterday said that uh, um, maybe uh, golf courses should close. But today they got that straightened out. The governor of Michigan said, no, 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 no. You don't have to close the golf course. You just can't do any in, in any in-house dining or serve alcohol. You, you know, you only go in, pay your green fees, and go out to the golf course. So they got that straightened out. Um, so go in, pay your green fees, go play, take some of the stress off. Uh, you can't go into work. You can't do other stuff. Maybe go play some golf. Go play some golf balls. The driving range is open here in Toledo. Uh, I'm sure there are other places. So, uh, Carlos, that's my last word. I'm, I'm, I'm done talking about it for tonight. Let's go talk about something else. All right, we have a final five pieces of news that we want to talk to you uh, to close the show. And the first one 
it's maybe as shocking as the cancellation of all these events. And that shocking. is the Tiger Woods. I mean, uh, I was like, what? Uh, this <laughs> is the shocker of the year. Tiger Woods was elected to the World Golf Hall of Fame on last Wednesday as the first member of the class of 2021 was picked by the Hall of, by the Hall of Fame's 20-member selection committee. They voted uh, on Wednesday from a list of 10 finalists, but he will have to wait until he turns 45 until entering the museum. So, uh, <laughs> okay, so he is in, uh, but he has to wait until he's 45 and December 30th. Uh, so, I mean, he will be by 2021. Uh, what's with this? Carlos, there's only been one other guy that is more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than Tiger Woods, and that's Jack Nicholas. And uh, you can go back and talk about Hogan, Sneed, and Nelson, and that's fine. And, you know, some other players along the way, Arnold Palmer, of course. Um, I mean, this was just an eventuality. They had to wait. He's not going to turn 45 until December 30th, so he's not really officially available just yet. But they went ahead and elected him. He will go in in the 2021 class next year, hopefully at the U.S. Open, uh, where, wherever that's going to be held next year. Hopefully it'll be held on time in June. Uh, the other 10 finalists that are being considered are Johnny Farrell, Padraig Harrington, Tom Weisskopf. I hope he gets in. I doubt if he will. Susie Maxwell, Burning, Beverly uh, Hanson, Sandra Palmer. I'm sure she'll get in. Dottie Pepper, I'm pretty sure she'll get in. Tim Fincham, I'm pretty sure he's going to get in. And Marion Hollins were the other names in consideration. So, the full class is yet to be re- revealed. I'm sure probably five or six from that list are going to get in there. Probably the ones I named. But uh, Tiger, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Um, I, you know, I have a problem with him uh, with the age of 45 going into the Hall of Fame. I think it should be at least 50 or 55. But, um, you know, they've been doing it. We've got Ernie Els going in, Phil Mickelson. Uh, all these guys have already gone in. So um, it's just a logical step and uh, no surprise here, Carlos. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't no surprise. Uh, but yeah. again, we talked about this when they they put down the the age restriction to forty five, and the first two words that came to us was Tiger Woods. He's turning forty five at the end of this year, and the World Golf Hall of Fame really needs some more more attention and more publicity, and I guess this is really going to make it for them, definitely. But it's no surprise that Tiger Woods should be and will be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Now, for the PGL, I mean, they they really raised the stakes and got everybody talking about it earlier in the year, uh, but if uh, the Premier Golf League is to get off the ground when sports do resume, and stand as a potential competitor to the PGA Tour, he will have to do so without the current top three players in the world. And that is because world's number three, Luke Skepka, told the Associated Press that he has decided against joining it, which I mean, uh, <laughs> he said, I am, and I'm going to quote him, he said, I am out of the PGA. I'm going with the PGA Tour. I have a hard time believing golfers should be just about 48 players. Uh, hours later, Golf Week reported that world number one, number two, John Ram is also staying with the tour. And he said, and I'm going to quote him, he said, I think what I'm going to do is focus on just the PGA Tour. 
at the end of the day, I'm a competitor, I'm a PGA Tour member, and I'm going to stay that way. So, Fred, number one, Ray McIlroy, number two, uh, Bruce Kep- number, uh, number two, John Ram, and number three, Rupert Kepka has said, now, PGL, I think, I mean, it's dead before it arrived. Yeah, I, uh, I, it just looks like that. Um, I don't, if you don't have those three guys, if you don't have Tiger Woods, you know, Phil Mickelson is the only one that's holding out that hasn't said he wouldn't do it. Um, you know, if, if you don't have, you know, at least four of those five guys, you, you got no tour, you got nothing. Uh, I don't care how much Saudi money you got behind you. Um, it ain't going to happen. So, um, you know, with golf shutting down now and new concerns about international travel and all that kind of thing, it's going to make it even tougher for them uh, with these guys coming out and saying, no, thanks, but no thanks. Um, looks like maybe it's kind of, like you say, DOA did on arrival. It ain't going to happen. But, uh, um, you know, it's been fun to talk about for a little bit. Anyhow, and maybe, and just maybe, some of the ideas that they have will find their way into uh, the regular tour now. And maybe, Carlos, you know, we still have our idea out there of the World Golf Tour floating around that, that you came up with. Um, maybe, they, maybe they'll consider that. Maybe you think it will change just like it did back in Greg Norman's day back in the 80s when he said he wanted a world tour and they came up with the WGC. So maybe there'll be something there down the line, Carlos. Well, uh, you know, Jay Monahan, um, Keith Pelly, uh, Fred and I are, are available. I know that there's some downtime right now. So, you know, we can, we can just go there and talk to you guys. Uh, we have some good ideas on this. And yeah, they're not busy right now. Yeah, yeah there's downtime, so. Yeah. We are available as well. We can go. No <laughs> issue. <laughs> you know, Jason Day, I had to withdraw from the Players' Championship, and we've been talking about him and how he has been struggling for the past few years with uh, injuries. And he revealed that he had surgery to relieve back pain after he withdrew from the Arnold Palmer invitation of the previous week. Uh, so he underwent what is called a resotomy which is a surgical procedure to sever nerve roots in the spinal cord, and uh, that procedure is designed to reduce chronic, chronic back pain and muscle spasms, which is what he's, he's been going through for the past few years. I and mean, we remember when once he was down to the ground after doing a swing, and he has been crying on the ground after pain. So, Fred, no surprise there. Hopefully... Uh, this relieves that pain, and we can see Jason Day become something close to what took him to that number one position in the world. I mean, he's such a great player, and uh, he's great for golf, and uh, he would be just one more great addition to the great lineup right now of great players that men's golf is showing up. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, the, the back hurts all the time. He couldn't feel the club head at the bottom of the swing. Uh, his back was hurting um, from the time he wakes up to, you know, just and even walking, he has a problem. So he said it was quite sore during the trying to play at the players. And it loosened up a little bit of the back nine, but it was still sore. He was only swinging about 75%. So, and, and we know, you know, Jason Day is, is too good of a player that, uh, you know, he just hasn't been able to, to perform up to his ability. So uh, hopefully this will help him. You know, maybe he'll end up having to do what Tiger did and get a complete back surgery or do something different, or maybe it'll be the end of his career. 
Um, you know, we're seeing more and more of this, Carlos. We talk about it all the time. More and more injuries are, are bothering guys, and it's because of the equipment. They're swinging harder. Uh, it's because of the swing changes they've made and not doing the free-flowing swing. They're, they're, they're putting a lot more torque and tension on their lower back. And, um, and then the, the compressed schedule. So guys are bigger, stronger, faster, which puts more wear and tear on their body as well. So uh, all these things add up to more injuries and shorter careers, Carlos. Uh, it's uh, really sad to see such a great player and such a great guy on Jason Day uh, go through what he's going through. But like you're saying, I mean, the, the, there's a lot more being asked of the, of the players with this compressed schedule, and uh, they just don't know how to say no. But we're, we're learning how they are actually starting to do that. They're starting to, to pick and choose where they're going to be. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, really, we can see Jason Day back in the courses Wilson, uh, there is no golf at least the end of uh, May, so uh, maybe this is a good thing for him, so he doesn't have to rush the schedule. Oh, I got to be back for the beginning of May. No, you have at least uh, eight more weeks to go, Jason. So get better. Hopefully, we can see you soon. Hey, the coronavirus has caused an expected, unexpected break in the LPGA tour schedule, with three Asian events being canceled, and uh, now is led to Ananarchus popping up on the leaderboard in an unexpected place. She decided to keep her game in shape by teaming it up against the men on the Outlaw Tour. And after one day of the Moon Valley Classic, she was not only competing, but she was leading the mini tour in Vatican critics. Ananarchus, wow, yeah, he's right. And yes, she's playing from the same set of tees 7,250 yards, in fact. By the way, the Outlaw Tour, great game and even better tour. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's really, really neat. But seriously, back to Anna. She's got, she got two more rounds, but what a start. I mean, uh, fortunately, guys uh, on the Outlaw Tour, uh, the eight-time winner resumes her day job when her real season resumes uh, next time. So, unfortunately for the women who will be there, Northbridge will be showing us. Uh, chart. Uh, Carlos, uh, 7,250 yards this golf course was. She posted a bogey-free 864 in the first round and was leading a field of 80 guys, okay? Um, that That is phenomenal, okay? We talk about Michelle Wee playing a men's tour. We talk about Susie Whaley you know, uh, qualifying for a PGA Tour event. We talk about Annika Sorenstam playing on the men's tour. If she would have won this thing, I don't care if it's a mini tour event or what, if she would have gone on and won this thing on a 7,250-yard golf course, that would have been one of the most phenomenal feats in golf ever. As it is, she shoots a uh, 70, uh, 71 on the second day, and she hits a 76 on – she kind of fails and falls back on the last day – but she still finished tied for 28 in the top 30, in the top 40% of the field um, of 80 guys. That's, I mean, that's phenomenal stuff to me. I, I think that's outstanding. I think this is a really big story, Carlos. It was. I mean, uh, it seems like she got tired maybe at the end there. Of, uh, of course, they, they play uh, shorter courses. 
So I guess it, it took it to her in that last third round with that 76. But still, we haven't seen that in a men's trailer by any woman before. So that was just amazing. I, I guess the guys would have been that after the first round, like, well, we've got to come here and play good. <laughs> you better bring it. Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to be the first one to be, uh, oh, we lost to uh, a female here. You know, so, oh, but that shows you. Those those ladies on the LPG are can bring it. I mean, uh, and hopefully we can see more of these. Of course, like you said, I don't care if it was the Outlaw Tour, wherever it is. It was a woman there, a female playing with them, toe-to-toe, from the same tees. And she was able to be leading after one round. So a great player, Anna Norquist. Uh, hopefully we can see more of this happening. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it was uh, an amazing, amazing feat. Fred, one more piece of news to talk before we close the show. And uh, this is interesting. I remember in 2010... Scotty McCarron accused Phil Mickelson of cheating. I mean, he said, you know, Phil Mickelson was uh, was cheating uh, on the PGA Tour. Uh, that was really after Tiger Woods was missing because of a sex scandal. But he was among at least four players at Torrey Pines that was using a ping eye two wedge that was made 20 years ago uh, and it had square grooves. So he was like, oh, he's cheating. Now, I mean, I remember in 2017 when Brando Champley was accusing Bernard Langer and Scotty McCarron about anchoring with their putters. So now, 2020, golf fans and former PGA Tour pro called Nose have rushed into Twitter to vent their frustration after believing that Scotty McCarron is still anchoring his putter on the Champions Tour despite the rule change coming into force back in 2016. Nose, who recently retired from the PGA and now works for SiriusXM, posted a close-up image of McCarron anchoring his putter into his chest at the whole classic with the caption, Oh, my anchor. Fred, as the resident PGA pro, um, what's your take I mean, I don't know if you saw that video uh, and uh, that uh, Nose was uh, showing, uh, but what, what's your take, our, uh, again, on the golf fans and Nose overreacting to this, is, or is really on your professional take, is he still anchoring? I, I want to think that Scotty McCarron is not cheating. Uh, I really want to believe that. Uh, and I know these guys are pushing it. Bernard Longer gets really close, and I've watched that. Uh, I've watched him several times. I've not watched McCarron that close, but I did watch these videos, and there is one picture, uh, but a still-framed picture. It's not really the video of McCarron, and his hand is definitely on his chest because you can see the way his shirt is wrinkled. He's, it's actually holding a, full, a fold of his shirt against his chest. So, you can see that his hand is definitely on his chest, but that's a still photograph. So I don't know if he's actually making his stroke or just in his pre-shot routine, getting set up, you know, and maybe it's touching. Maybe at the last minute before he takes a stroke, he moves it away from his chest to make his stroke. I can't tell that from that picture. I looked at the video. The video is from an angle. You, you can't tell from videos because of different angles and shadows and things like that. So, 
I can't tell from the video whether it is or not. Uh, the guys that are going to have to do this, Carlos, are the guys that play with him. They're going to have to see either say something to him or say something to a rules official. Um, and as you know, that's one of the deals about playing in golf. Uh, even if you're in a group uh, and you're seeing some a rules violation, you need to report it to a rules official to help protect the rest of the field. Uh, and, and players are pretty good about playing, uh, calling penalties on themselves. We're, we're seeing some instances over the last several months that maybe some players are trying to get away with some stuff and maybe aren't being diligent about calling these penalties and maybe stretching the rules a little bit. Um, someone also made a comment about McCarran actually bulking up over the last year, and they were making uh, – uh, references that maybe he was using more than uh, just regular, uh, uh, you know, regular diet. And maybe he was using some uh, performance-enhancing stuff. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but um, uh, he, if he's not holding it close to his chest, he's very, very close. Um, and that's what I, you know, one of the things that we talked about early with Longer, it, it looked like he was brushing his short shirt. Now, his shirt was not right up against his chest. It was hanging down a little bit. Um, does that constitute a penalty? If you touch your shirt, you're not really holding against your chest. Um, I don't know. I, I can't tell whether McCarron is doing or not, so I'm going to leave it to the players to decide and McCarron to call the penalty on himself if he's doing it. Now that somebody's brought it up, you know that he's going to be conscious of it uh, and really try to make sure that that's not happening. So, uh, I, I, Carlos, I can't give you much more of an informed decision than that right there. You know, that's an excellent, excellent answer because it was it is part of a, uh, a photo. It's not actually a video. So we don't know when that was taken. Right? We, you you got to go by what you see. And you call it right down the middle. That's the way that it should be. Uh, and that, that was the point I wanted to make. You cannot say and go out there and say that he's really cheating unless you really have something. Proof and one picture, still picture, doesn't say anything about it. We don't know the angle could be wrong, the wrong part of it. We've seen that from many other uh, circumstances and other things that people start accusing others of doing things just because the angle was bad for them, it's not looking right, or it was a picture from somewhere else. Like you mentioned, maybe he was doing his pre-routine, actually, and that's when he do it, and then he lowers it and he does the potty. We don't know. We don't know. So I, I think the, the, the responsible answer was the one that he just gave. And I, that's the one I hope people would take if we're starting to go out there and saying, yeah, he's cheating. Because uh, we would have heard uh, from all the players already, uh, yeah, he is. I have seen him. Uh, they have to, to take care of him. But like you mentioned, now that he has been brought up, I'm sure the officials, the rules officials are going to be over him. Maybe they have talked to him already, you know. This was brought up, and maybe he already knows that this was brought up. And uh, it will make him more conscious going down. So, Fred, uh, one more thing. Tell us a little bit about the only pro tour that was uh, played. Real quick there, what did you what did you see that happened? Uh, what was there it? was only one professional tournament last weekend. That was in South Africa for the South Africa Women's Open on the Ladies' European Tour, who was won by a Clemson grad and 2019 European Women's Amateur Champion, a rookie, Alice Eusen. Um So, um, Alice, congratulations to her. 
Um, that will be the final event for the Ladies European Tour as they have joined the rest of the world in canceling events due to the coronavirus scare. So, Carlos, that was the only pro tournament last weekend. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to have a show next week. Uh, I'm going to have – I've got some interviews lined up. We're going to have people on talking about different things. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe safety. If you do go to the golf course, what to look for, what to think about, what resorts are going to try and do when to get you to come back and feel safe at their golf course. Uh, we're going to touch some base with some of these issues. And, of course, there will probably be some new golf news out. We'll learn more maybe about the Ryder Cup and if they're really going to hold it or not or they're going to cancel it, postpone it, whatever, uh, what they're going to do maybe with the PGA Championship, what they're going to do with the Masters. Maybe some of these things will be cited by next week. So we'll have a lot to talk about. We're going to be here. Uh, but, uh, Carlos, I want to let everybody know that time is growing short. We only got two more weeks to sign up for the uh, two-night stay at French Lick Springs Hotel and Casino, plus a round of golf on the Ross course for two people. Simply visit OhioGolfJournal.com to register. OhioGolfJournal.com. There's a little tab there in the middle. Just click on there. Fill out the information. We'll get you in the drawing. Uh, if you're sitting around the house and bored from watching too much Shell's Wonderful World of Golf on Golf Channel, pull up the March issue of Ohio Golf Journal or click on the Archives tab. View past issues with articles on golf travel, places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Alabama, Florida, the Carolinas, and Georgia. Or visit Back Nine Report TV on Roku or Back9Report.com for interviews with golf personalities, equipment reviews, and travel videos. In the meantime, keep a safe distance. Stay home if you can. Wash your hands often, especially if you touch money. Buy something in store. Get gas. And use your card. Be safe out there. This will be over soon, and life in golf will get back to normal. Carlos, back to you. Well, back then, the chat wraps up another week of the Back Then Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Jenny Coluccio. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Up Radio. If you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. Also, we have local TV. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at that 9 report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres. I'm with Al Vader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Have a golfing, everybody. Be safe, everybody. <laughs>